Hi, welcome to the Macabre Emporium. Let me get my emotional support cat. Okay. <laughs> to be quiet and keep the kids quiet, since he was getting anxiety and he didn't want to kill children. Gertrude's daughter even got to join in on what they considered fun. Tell us about the giant turtle. Alan never showed up, nor was he ever heard from again beyond that point. Welcome back to Macabre Emporium. We are on episode 13, Lucky 13. Or unlucky 13. It's lucky. Yeah, if we would have thought about it, we could have probably done a bonus right at the 13th episode this year, but eh. Or like I said, we could have been smart and recorded episode 13 on the 13th, but alas, we are not smart. It's probably better that way, so it gives me less of a headache with my end of things. Who knows what would have happened with the recording. Mm-hmm. Don't so. know. If you haven't listened to episode 12 yet, or if you have, you might notice a very significant change at the very beginning. I reworked the intro a little bit, and I thought it came out quite well. What did you think about it, Sarah? I I liked it. Because I didn't even talk to you about it. I just you went didn't. ahead and did it. And then you sent me the thing for me to do my end of what we do, and it wasn't even the right one. I'm like, I don't hear an intro at all like shit that's because i didn't send you the right one yeah i don't know what happened there so maybe it was a good thing we didn't record anything on the friday the 13th stupidities is what happened i don't know stupidities and me accidentally probably naming something the same thing in a whole other different file probably is what happened there could have been but yeah i like it it's shorter i think a little bit shorter not so much music there's more to it than just music yeah the intro we originally had was like just the first thing that me done but we didn't have any other audio for me to do the one that we have now mm-hmm. and that's what i've always wanted to do for our intro is like what it is yeah. on episode 12 i remember you talking to me about that but now that you know i had enough stuff to filter through and part of it was actually one of the things i got cut from an episode about you needing your emotional support cat <laughs> oh yeah well i mean it made it to an episode it made it true to the, the, was it christmas or the first one of the year. It was part of the first one of the year because of our plans that had gotten changed for... That is correct. The end of the year episode we were going to do. But So now with that all said, hopefully you guys enjoy the new intro. If not, I'm oh, sorry, that's what it's going to be from now on. Sucks to suck. <laughs> so what is it you're going to talk about today here? I will be talking about the... Mm, life... And murder of Grady Stiles Jr. Okay, so who is this? Uh, the world would know him as the Lobster Boy. Oh, so the Lobster Boy was an actual person? Lobster Boy. Lobster. Yes, Lobster Boy was an actual person. Oh, I didn't know that. That's, that should be quite interesting to hear. You didn't know that? No. What are you going to talk about? I'm going to talk about probably one of the worst disasters in American circus history that's ever happened. It is what also be known as the day that the clowns have, the day that the clowns cried. Okay. The Hartford, Connecticut circus fire. Never heard of it. No. All right. Gibsonton was a small town on the coast of Tampa Bay in Florida. It was also a haven for circus freaks and is home to the International Independent Showmen's Association. This happened to be one of the very few places in the U.S. that allowed keeping circus animals and on, like, residential properties. So, I was going to make a Carol Baskin's joke, but I'm going to... Carol Baskin! <laughs> Killed her husband, whacked him. Anyways... <laughs> Those that worked for and with the circus lived in a mobile home park near to that called Bullfrog Creek. If you were to go there now, there's still a plethora of like vintage circus equipment. You'd find anything from trailers to rides, pieces of rides, and just all other various, Mm -hmm. you know, sorts of equipment that kind of are landmarks today. It also happens to be home to one of the more bizarre murders in history. The Stiles family, and I know I'm going to fuck this up when I say it. The Stiles family was born with an odd deformity. Their heritage would include six generations of people who were afflicted with a condition called electrodactyly. That sounds right to me, but I'm not a doctor also, so there we go. True that. Uh, this, This was dating as far back as like 1840. Okay. Their family, uh lineage with this thing this deformity is also referred to as split hand split foot malformation otherwise known as 
SHFM. This would include Grady Stiles Sr., who happened to be part of a traveling carnival sideshow. We would refer to them now as freak shows. Grady Sr. would start including his son, Grady Stiles Jr., into the act by the age of seven. Can you imagine being brought into a circus, like, to be stared at at the age of seven? Yeah, I mean, some one of the videos I had watched about mine talked about being brought in at that age as a clown, but not as part of the sideshow act. Right, not as somebody that is literally just going to sit there to be stared at and ridiculed. True, but before I'm going to shut up there before I hijack your part of this episode. Yeah, don't. Because <laughs> you know I can do it very easily with yeah, all my, yeah, I know. my knowledge of circus stuff. Yep. Even though I've never been to one in my life. Yep. Having the affliction they did, they were mercilessly ridiculed and harassed by spectators. However, being the main attraction at the Carnival's Freak Show made for very good payment. Can you guess how much they would get paid per season? Probably less than $50 a year. Ha! Huh? No. Sometimes upwards of 80000 every single season. Sorry. Okay. So I was thinking like this was like way, way earlier. Well, it would have been early 40s. Yeah, but still, that's like... That's a lot of money for back then. Right, I was thinking like way farther back from that. But. So even though it paid, uh, sometimes paid upwards of $80,000 every single season, was it worth Grady Sr. knowing that he was subjecting his son Grady Jr. to ridicule, pain, and anguish? I don't think so. That's just me. Grady Stiles Jr. was born on June 26th in 1937. He was also born with electrodactyly, as it is a genetic trait. This caused Grady's hands to be shaped like Robster Craws. <laughs> bonus points if you tell me what movie that's from. I don't remember, but I heard it. <clears throat> bonus points to anybody that can say what movie that came from. I'm not going to say what it was. So you're going to leave me in wonder about... I'll tell you after. Okay. But if anybody can actually answer that. With his condition, it caused the three middle fingers to be absent... Or to be, like, fused to what would be like this. The pinky and the thumb. Okay. So you're saying my, my either, pinky and ring finger would be fused together. It and could, my it, middle and... It could be like this. It could be like this. It's just the three middle fingers okay. are fused either to the right or to the left. Okay. Like, in some variation. Or they're not there at all and it's just pinky and thumb. Okay. But they're usually very long. Don't know why. His legs were also misshapen. Both of his legs would end just below the knee. And his feet were more or less shaped like his hands were. Just kind of claw-like. This is what would lead to Grady Stiles Jr. being known as Lobster Boy. Grady would never gain the ability to walk, so he lived his life in a wheelchair. However, he was able to move his body using both of his arms, which you can imagine would cause an enormous amount of upper body strength. Mm-hmm pulling yourself around like that he would drag himself across the floors and all of the strength building just literally to sit there and be looked at because they never did anything they were just an oddity and would sit there and be gawked at basically what circus did they work for did you not have it, an answer? there were multiple okay none that i'd ever heard of they're just traveling circuses which is why i didn't really mention a circus because there were so many of them. Okay. I think it's whoever just kind of came by that freak show area of Florida and was like, hey, we need somebody to do this. And then they just go and do it and come back. Grady Jr. would wind up liking the circus life. Despite his unique appearance and general non-use of his hands, he learned how to write his name and to others' peril, learned how to shoot a gun. After spending almost his entire childhood touring with the circus, Grady would meet a circus staff, Mary Teresa. She was, by society standards, normal. She was just a teenager who had run away from home to join the circus, where she would happen to fall in love with Grady Stiles Jr. They would marry and then go on to have three children together in a blended family. The children were conceived and both parents-to-be were elated and then surprised at birth. Only two of the children would inherit their dad's lobster claw hands. Kathy and Grady III would inherit the deformity. Donna, the oldest daughter, didn't have it. When Grady's children were of age, he brought them into the freak show circuit as well, just like his father did with him, and they would be labeled the, labeled the lobster family. 
However, over time, she would come to realize that she had married a very bitter, angry, and violent man. This is Mary that we're talking about. Okay. Their neighbors would say they heard frequent screaming coming from the Stiles' home in Gibsonton. Grady Stiles Jr. had fallen to alcoholism and would frequently physically abuse and mistreat his wife and children. So you remember all that upper body strength I was just talking about. Right. He would use that to violently throw himself to the floor and then use his claw hands basically as weapons. He would use them to beat, choke, and slam his children and wife in their faces. Usually their eyes and the skin on their face was their, like, the target Mm-hmm. that he went after on all of them. There was one particularly violent encounter where Grady was in the midst of attacking his wife, Mary, when his daughter, Kathy, who was pregnant at the time, would attempt to stop the fighting by grabbing her dad's wheelchair and rolling it in between her parents. You can imagine that pissed him off. Right. Already being, you know, that elevated, Grady would turn towards his pregnant daughter and beat her so badly that she went into labor a lot sooner than she should have. Fortunately, her baby survived and was the next in line to inherit electrodactyly. And she did inherit it. Because they say it's supposed to skip a generation, but but it doesn't always. In this family, it seems to be damn near everyone that's born. Yeah. Mary said her husband was a great man when when he was sober, but stated that Grady being sober only lasted for about two hours a day. Usually between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. Like, that's (laughs) that's some hardcore shit. When 1973 rolled around and Mary was done, she had had enough of the abuse towards herself and her children. She came to the decision to leave Grady after he beat her again. This time, he would use his claw-like hands to remove her birth control device from inside her body. Yeah, I saw your eyes. (laughs) Yeah. After numerous beatings aimed at his wife and children, he ultimately threw all of them out of the house. Mary would get lonely and turn to another circus performer. A, and pardon the word, but this is what they were called back then. It was a midget named Harry Glenn Newman. And he was known as the world's smallest man within, like, the carnival circuit. But he was not, not like Guinness Book of World Records smallest man. The children somehow made it back to Grady's house and were left there to endure every bit of rage their father had. One of Grady's daughters, Donna, uh, she was the youngest one, I believe. She had gotten engaged to a guy named Jack Lane when she was in her late teens. Grady, of course, was not happy with this. Donna didn't seem too concerned about whether her father gave a shit or not. She was really just ready to be away from him and free from him, his abuse and control once and for all. Right. This was seemingly her main reason, if not her only reason, to actually get engaged and get married. She would insist upon living with Jack, with or without her father's approval. Grady and his control over his family was not something that he was simply going to walk away from or let walk away from him. He threatened Donna that if she didn't leave Jack, that he would kill him. Jack arranged a meeting between himself and Grady to discuss the marriage in question. Jack would have insisted that he and Donna were going to marry whether Grady gave his permission or not. But unfortunately... When Jack arrived at their meeting point on the eve of their wedding, Grady shot him in the back and killed him. When Donna learned about her fiancé Jack being murdered, her father sat up with a menacing smile on his face and said, I told you I'd kill him. This led to a media frenzy, of course. Grady would subsequently be arrested and go to court. He openly confessed to shooting Jake and showed absolutely no remorse. Yeah, with his alcoholism and whatnot and his... Violent ways, yeah. He's saying you can teach shits about fucking anything. And he didn't. <laughs> he absolutely didn't. And plus, the life of ridicule being a ridicule of a circus performer on top of that. He probably felt that it was like um, his way of getting back at a normal person. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I can only assume. Right. I don't know. Unfortunately, he would never see the inside of a prison cell for the crime he committed, as the prison systems were not equipped to deal with his disability. I mean, all they needed was a wheelchair. Right. He could wipe his own ass. He can sit in prison. Yeah, they probably just assumed that, oh, we're going to have to dedicate staff to, you know, him. Yeah. To take care of him. It was like, I mean, we just, it's whatever. So what do they do? Just let him go scot-free. Well, the courts found that committing him to prison would have been nothing short of cruel and unusual punishment for him. And with that, they allowed Grady to be home on house arrest and probation for 15 years. <laughs> for fun. murdering somebody. 
Um, with him basically being pitied and not being sent to prison, Grady felt invincible. He would go back home and continue to abuse his family, taunting, taunting them with, I killed before and got away with it, and I can do it again. Towards his family. Right. Asshole. <laughs> for the sole reason that after Grady was sent home, he had quit drinking for a while. Mary chose to return and remarry him after she left her midget husband mm-hmm. um, that she married after Grady. This time it took Mary no time to say enough is enough. On November 29th, 1993, Grady Stiles Jr. was shot and killed by a hired assassin. The shooter was a 17-year-old sideshow performer named Chris Wyant. He was a neighbor of the Stiles family. Mary and her stepson Harry paid $1,500 cash for Chris to put three bullets in the face skull. <coughs> Damn, circus performers don't fuck around. <laughs> or their wives, apparently. Wyant was convicted of second-degree murder and was sentenced to 24 years in prison. Harry, which was Mary's stepson, the son of her, her ex, was considered the mastermind behind the murder, and he was convicted of first-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison. Mary would be convicted of conspiracy to commit murder and was sentenced to 12 years in prison. And I honestly think they should have just let her walk for everything that, like, her and her kids had to endure through from right, this guy. but still, well, that she committed a crime... So did he. I understand that. And he still got to go home and continue to be the asshole he was before he got. Right. Yeah. Anyways. Mary stated, my husband was going to kill my family. I believe that from the bottom of my heart. I'm sorry this happened, but my family is safe now. I don't know. I think she should have been able to walk away like he did. After the death of Donna's fiance, Jake, and the death of Grady Lobster Boy Styles, the family had no choice but to continue on. Son, Grady the third now has a daughter named Sarah, and she did not inherit Electrodactyly. Oh, that's good. But is it with or without an H? Without. <laughs> the inferior <laughs> Sarah. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, daughter Kathy is married to... Wait, let me go back to Grady the Third. Okay. He is now married to... Um, okay. He also does the carnival circuits because he has electrodactyly. Okay. He is married to the bearded woman, and that is who he has a daughter with. And they're currently alive now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Grady Jr., he mm-hmm. d- he died in 1993. Like, yeah, they're all still alive. Okay. I just... Yeah. There were so many Grady's thrown in this. I'm trying to keep track of which one's yeah. which, so... <sighs> yeah. Okay, so there was Grady Sr., which was, like, the, dad. the grandfather. Okay. Grady Jr. is the one we know as Lobster Boy. Okay. Grady the Third is Lobster Boy's son. Okay. We'll call him Lobster Jr. Anyways, uh, daughter Kathy is married and has a daughter named Misty. She did inherit Electrodactyly, so she's got the mm-hmm. the crab craws. Um, I could not find anything about Donna which is the one who had her fiancé. Well, she didn't have him killed, but, you know, her fiancé died because of her dad. Mm -hmm. All three of them still perform in the circuses from time to time. Kathy even took up acting and appeared in a series called Carnival that was on HBO. It's always something I wanted to see, but we don't ever have HBO. Right. And she was also in the Tim Burton movie called Big Fish. No, I never saw that. Oh, you'd love that movie. Grady was buried with his dad. Styles Sr. Okay. Okay. In the showman's section of Sunset Memory Garden Cemetery in Thanato Sasa. <laughs> Seriously, look at this name. I don't know. I don't know how to say it. I don't know. This is why I look up pronunciation guys and I write out write them out next We're, to my words. Right here. Thanato Sasa. That's what it looks like to me. Okay, so <clears throat> Than- Thanato Sasa, Florida. I'm gonna spell it. T-H-O-N-O-T-O-S-A-S-S-A. Thanatosassa. That's what I'm going with. According to Wikipedia, Styles was reportedly widely disliked in, he, in his community, so much so that only 10 people came to his funeral. Nobody volunteered to be his pallbearer. Wow. So. So did they just, like, drive the hearse... And re- drive the hearse in reverse real fast and back <laughs> and hit the brakes? And hit the brakes? No. I don't know. But 
with all that said, mm-hmm. with that being the story, um, Grady Styles was a very notable and noticeable person. He was used as reference in a lot of things. So now I have some fun facts. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, if you're around our age and listen to, like, rock grunge alternative in the early mm-hmm. 90s, because really, who the fuck didn't? Right. Um, the album Freak Show by Silverchair. Okay. He is the face on the cover of that album. I never really listened to Silverchair, but I'm going to have to look that up now. Though. Yeah, I love Silverchair. Wait, which Grady are we talking about here? Again. The Lobster Boy, not so, the grandfather. It's okay. the dad that became world known as Lobster Boy. Okay. Yes, so cover of that album is a drawing of Grady, his face. His story was referenced in Freak Show, which was a season of American Horror Story. There was a character with electrodactyly that was played by Evan Peters. If you look closely in the opening credits, there's a tiny statue that you'll see move just a tiny bit Hmm. of... The hand, like the hands move and the head, I think, if I remember, turns just slightly. Since we watched it. It's, uh, it looks like a little porcelain figure, but it is of Lobster Boy. Hmm. Not the one that Evan Peters played, because that was Jimmy Darling. I figured you assumed that the actual... Yeah, it was supposed to be Grady Styles. And in episode three of that same season, you can see a, an actual picture of Grady Styles in the American Morbidity Museum. That was one of my favorite seasons. So there's no actual proof if he was, you know, pired out by house board housewives like he was in American Horror Story? <laughs> no. <laughs> nah. Um, a person named Lobster Boy appears in a Deadpool comic, and in that comic, Deadpool is hired to assassinate him. So they just kind of chalked it up to reference of Grady Styles with yeah. him being assassinated and all. But that's all I got. What'd you think about that? Like I said in the beginning, I didn't realize Lobster Boy was an actual person. I just thought it was made up for American Horror Story, being yep. based off of circus side shows at the point. Yes, but he is real. Yeah. And he was a real asshole. Yeah, he was. Not anywhere close to the one in, well, I mean, the one in American Horror Story was, but not anything like this one was. The Lobster Boy from Jimmy Darling wasn't an asshole. You no, know, he had his moments. Not, not. Well, you, nah. you watched it more than... More, more times than I did, so. Jimmy Darling was not an asshole. No. Although, he was real good at one in the pink, one in the stink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that he was. <laughs> of course, that's the one thing we both fucking remember about it. I but, mean, those, the, those scenes were very memorable. Right. Yeah. Went from Tupperware party to... Fisting party. Um, yeah. Clawing party, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> A clawing party? Yeah. Uh, I don't know what else to call call it, so and anyhow. Well yeah, like I said in the middle like at one point, it's interesting that I have this fascination with circuses that because I've never been to one in my life. Not even like a ring brothers? Nope, never a single one, not even one what's called a mud show. I've not ever been to one of the those. The fuck is a mud show? A mud show is one lower tier circus. Uh-huh. So like a lower, like a one ring circus, basically. We're not talking about like Barnum and Bailey's and Ring Ringling Brothers and stuff like that. Okay. Mud shows are very, very small, basic ones, kind of like the one from American Horror Story Freak Show. Oh, okay. I've never heard them called that. A mud circus is an older term before before a train uh, circus started traveling by rail. Oh. It's could also be a whole other episode with you know that long term modeling project that's kind of been. Definitely been put on the back burner. Mothballed event, basically, you could Uh say. Even though when I did buy that, that was intentionally meant to be a long-term project for as large as it's going to be. Right, but it'll never be a project if you don't do anything with it. No, I know, but it it is. Although, with that said, I would like to eventually go up to Baraboo. Yeah, I still would like to go there, even though we're not... I'm not doing this project. Yeah. Uh, this project that I keep mentioning, and you're probably wondering what the fuck what it is, is that I have an HO scale version of the Great American Circus Train from the Circus World Museum up in Baraboo, Wisconsin. That Sarah just mentioned, it's housed in the headquarters for the Ringling Weather Circus in Wisconsin. Yep. And from shows that we've watched and things we've heard, like there's so mm-hmm. many hauntings and just weird shit that happens around bear boo right i think it would be cool to go regardless right 
but especially for that because yeah i like old vintage circus stuff right so well one of these days if we're down near french look indiana we'll have to make our way in to where i don't remember where it's located but two hemispheres is currently in french look indiana not at the hall of fame where it's supposed to be how far away is that from it's the other end of the state oh yeah so that's like hey we're gonna go to do like, something in Kentucky, and we'll just happen almost, to swing by basically. there on the way. Almost. Yeah. Okay. Never been to a circus at all. Even though I'm pretty sure starting the whole circus train is what really started my fascinations with circuses. Yeah. As of lately, just because of researching about the different cars that I have when I was doing, you know, for color schemes and things like that for yeah. it. And when we started this podcast and I came across this story, I'm now I'm not wondering if this is one of the reasons why our mother never really took us to one, possibly, and just at a young age didn't know why. I don't know. Uh, it's one of those great great family mysteries, I suppose, why we never went. Huh. But anyway. I remember going to one, had to be six, seven years mm-hmm. old, and... I mean, I don't like clowns. I've never liked clowns. Right. And those were really the only, like, off-putting part to me. Mm-hmm. But seeing all the animals was really, really cool. But now seeing how, like, seeing videos as an adult of how they're treated, mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't go to right. one again. Right. Not with, but you're not going to find a carnival, or not a carnival, but a circus that comes around with animals like they had back then. Yeah, actually, there still kind of is. The Kelly Miller Circus actually still has elephants with it and it's actually owned by a descendant of one of the ringling brothers oh but, of course you'd know that and i, I literally <laughs> found that out last night when i was finishing up my research for this oh I, it's, i've never heard of it so it mustn't be something that's still going on or no. you know they said that they take they go to much smaller towns generally is where they go yeah they were kind of be one be your modern day mud circus as i had mentioned earlier are you ready to hear about this yeah Let's hear about the fire. Oh, it, it, fire. <laughs> I don't know if you'll be that excited by the time I'm done with this. Probably not. Yeah. So, that said... In the final years of World War II, families would treat themselves to a day at the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey Circus, better known as the greatest show on Earth. On a summer day in July of 1944, with buckets of popcorn and lemonade in their hands... As excitement would fill their hearts for the circus, people would file in and find the best seat before the show would start under the big top. So during World War II, most circuses would actually be traveling by rail at this time. Mm-hmm. It was actually one of the very few things that the U.S. government allowed during World War II because Roosevelt believed that people still needed entertainment for morale reasons. Well, yeah. So they still allowed circuses to travel by trains at this time as part of the war effort because with the rationing of everything... Anything of importance went towards the war effort. Gotcha. Um, even though they were allowed to still travel by rail, they didn't have such a high priority as all other trains in this time period would, which would be more than likely the highest priority was given to troop trains. Yeah. That were carrying armed forces and all of their equipment to the ports of origin to be set off to either Japan or the European theater. With these delays, they would actually miss a show on the July 5th. And in circus culture, with their superstitions, it was extremely bad luck to miss a show. Even with their delay and their short of staffing due to them being drafted into military and the equipment short- shortages during the war times, the evening performance on July 5th would actually still go on and without a hitch, but this would still put all the circus employees on edge because of them missing their afternoon show with their mm-hmm. superstitions. Before I continue on with a lot of the story, they give you an idea how big this tent really is. Uh, It was considered the world's largest circus tent for its time and probably actually still holds this record. Just for the sake of me having to cut out words and so I can continue to speak, I'm not going to say the entire name of Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus because it's a fucking mouthful, obviously. Yeah. So when I refer to the circus, I am specifically talking about their show only. Okay. Not just using the circus in general. Right. So, uh, their circus tent would actually be 450 feet long and 200 feet wide. Okay. Tool that I have found for you to put things in perspective for you. The Walmart store that we quite frequently go to mm-hmm. is half the, is twice the size of this tent. 
Damn. So it's it's huge because that's yeah. a big ass Walmart. Yeah. So that wow. store is twice the size of how big this tent actually was. Even just thinking of half of that mm-hmm. is a lot. Yeah. Uh, the side walls of it were at f- or 15 feet high and the roof itself was 48 feet off the ground. And here comes another fucking train already. No, it's just the Amtrak. Gonna keep going. So the big top was really no joke for the Ringling Brothers of Barnum and Bailey Circus. And the big top tent that they had could hold anywhere between nine to 12,000 spectators. Sources varied from the height, the total count, so I decided to include in both. Mm-hmm. And the seating was arranged on the outside perimeter of the tent with bleachers, folding chairs for reserved seating areas. And then there would be a 25-foot-wide track to separate the three rings, and the spectator seating the ring is that very short, shallow wall that runs all the way around that the rings okay. are sitting on the inside. Yeah. The tent would actually have nine different, nine separate entrances all the way around the entire perimeter of the tent, but the two on the north side of the tent would be eventually be blocked off by what's called an animal chute, so they could transfer the animals from all the separate acts, minus the elephants because of their size, through these tunnels Right. From their cages into where the rings are. So this is basically where your big cats and your bears and all your smaller animals were shuttled through. Okay. In and for- back and forth. And it actually becomes a very important detail later on about these animal shoots. Okay. Uh, the tent would actually be set up on a field that was mowed prior to their arrival. And any bear spots left on the ground are filled in with sawdust. To keep front, you know, a lot of people's feet. But, uh, right. Just to give you a basic idea how a circus tent was set up in this time period for their spectators. And then, you know, you had your other smaller tents for concessions and the sideshow, like where the lobster boy would be at. And, right. the, and other different various circus activities. Uh, the circus would actually advertise their tent as being waterproof, but it was not fireproof during this time. A common waterproofing technique that would replace normal materials that were being used towards the war effort for uh, armed services, tents, and things like that. They would actually boil paraffin wax and mix it with white gas, which is commonly used for your camping stoves and lanterns. Okay. It would take approximately 6,000 gallons of white gas and 18,000 pounds of wax to waterproof their tent. They would only waterproof the top and not the sides because why do you need to waterproof the sides? I feel that if they had given the side walls the same treatment, this would have had a much worse outcome. Oh. I mean, it already has a pretty horrible outcome. Well, like I said, that it would have much a much different outcome if they probably had would have waterproofed the size, but they probably didn't want to say cut down on the cost because mean mm-hmm. it give you this perspective of how big their damn tent was, that it would cost them a lot more money and materials to waterproof the sides, plus it's kinda of pointless. Right. Uh Thursday, July sixth would be a hot summer day in July with a high of 85 degrees this day. And approximately 7,000 people would be in attendance for the afternoon matinee. And it did have somewhat of a timeline I could find of the events that happened. It was still kind of hard to piece together. At 2.23 p.m., the greatest show on earth would begin with its animal trainers, animal trainers, Joe Walsh on the northeast ring with lions and bears, and May Covert with leopards and panthers on the opposite southeast end in a separate caged in ring with her animals. Okay. The flying Lalendas are preparing to be the next act above the center ring at 2.40 p.m., which multiple different sources stated different things on who spotted this fire first that happened. But it is to believe, it's the most common thing was that the seatmen, which is what the circus called their ushers, the seatmen are what most sources said are the ones that first noticed this fire. Mm-hmm. And they were an attempt to put this out with buckets of water, but they wouldn't have any effect on it. As the Walendas can sense something is wrong, they would start to come down from their higher wire. And some of the videos I did watch, they do believe that a single fire extinguisher would have stopped this fire, as they described it to being about the size of a window, mm-hmm. is the best description that they gave, any of them gave on how big this fire started as to what it, the aftermath of what happens with it. Okay. But the thing is, all the fire extinguishers were still packed away in a crate because of their delay of showing up late. So they just left them in there. Left them in there, and it's like, the night before went off great, we probably shouldn't worry about it, or somebody you know, else thought, oh, somebody else is doing it. There was never any real reason why 
the fire extinguishers never got unpacked like they were supposed to. Uh, while the seat men are attempting to put out this fire, the circus band leader named Merle Evans directs the band to start playing Stars and Stripes Forever, which actually is a distress call to all circus employees that something is wrong. So they would only play Stars and Stripes Forever if there is something actually wrong going on to not cause a panic. Okay. As this fire is starting to creep up the sidewall, one of the survivors in one of the videos I watched by the name of Donald Gale would recall someone yelling out fire as this fire grew in size and it's racing towards the wax coated roof. He would also say that it was like all hell broke loose after the crowd's attention to the fire. His first initial thoughts was to jump up and over the backside of leafers and squeeze out from under one of the sidewalls, but his friend Helga that he was with felt responsible for him and wanted him to stay with her as they would make their way through the section of the reserve seated section of the folding chairs. As these folding chairs weren't secured and they were piling up in the pan, it caused people to trip and create a bottleneck at multiple different entrances of people trying to get out. Like, yeah, the main entrance was described to only maybe about have. Seven to eight people go through at a time. We're talking about like 7,000 people trying to leave. That's a lot. Donald Gale would become entangled in some of these chairs as his friend Helga tries to free him. He would recall a sailor that was in a panic trying to escape like all the other people were. Um, he would push his way through the crowd and he Helga wouldn't see him coming right directly at him. And of course he didn't see them. And I uh, would knock Helga down, possibly knocking her unconscious. And he would also say, that, like, at the time that this fire is happening, the crowd is moving just like water, but you had no choice which direction to go. You had to basically follow the flow of the crowd. Yeah. At 2.43 p.m., the first alarm was sounded at the fire station because of the blaze of the circus, and within minutes, police, fire, and EMS medical staff would arrive on scene. Most of the crowd would actually try and exit through the main entrance where a majority of the roof is already on a fire above. Um, world-renowned clown Emmett Kelly is doing the best that he can to help usher people out on the south side of the tent, but he is overwhelmed by the crowd and he is pushed out of the way, according to his grandson. Question. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> so they have the exits in mm-hmm. the tent. It is a tent. Right. Why did they not just pull the bottom of the tent up? Some people actually did in self-preservation that they did. One of the survivor stories that I did read about this, he created a hole in the side of the tent to get himself out and then this family handyman he couldn't find him so he cut a second hole in the side of the tent to go back in to find him which he ended up did finding him they both survived but he was like accredited for saving like 300 people that day but he found by the governor of mm-hmm. Connecticut, but he eventually wrote in three months later saying, like, no, that's not what happened. I literally cut a hole in the side of the tent to get myself out. I mean, it still yeah. saved people, so. And he, like, in one of the videos, they actually talked to this guy, and he was like, he doesn't ever really talk about it. Like, Dick Hall wouldn't talk about his time with Tony Caritza, so he was like, I got out, the hand man got out, what else is there to talk about? Like, that's yeah. just how his attitude was. I don't know if it was maybe because he was a grizzled old man. Maybe he just got tired of being asked about it. I don't know. Didn't go in a whole lot of detail with it. But um, okay. there was also a lot of reports about the holes being cut in the size of the tent by other people. But in an emergency situation like this, probably cutting a hole, cutting a sidewall out would be faster than trying to raise it. Probably. Because it's going to take you seconds to cut a, a large hole, and it's going to take you minutes to raise or drop the side. Because you have to untie ropes and all that stuff. On the opposite side of the tent, from where... Donald Gale was sitting is another survivor that was in one of the videos that I watched uh-huh. by the name of Elliot Smith and he's attending the circus with his sister and his mother. His sister Joan would actually jump down off the backside of the bleachers which is the same thought process that Donald Gale had to get out. Elliot Smith's mother would actually grab him by his hand and they would follow the, instructor, the instructions of the seat men and with a fire racing across the top of the wax cutter roof large globs globs of this heated wax are tripping down on those still trapped inside this tent along with large pieces of can- of the canvas with it so i mean it's basically raining hellfire inside this tent for everybody oh, still, yeah. still trapped inside by 2 47 p.m with the north side entrance entrances in a bottleneck and the panic spectators rush to the opposite side of the tent where the animal shoots are that are blocking two exits on that side. A man by the name of Bill Curley would actually straddle one of these animal chutes and start hoisting children up and over to the other side for 
to safety and eventually would get him and his son out. He would tell his son to stay by their car and he would actually go back in to continue what he was doing and unfortunately Bill Curley would not survive. By 2.50 p.m., the, the entire tent has been devoured by fire and collapses on those still trapped inside. Survivors and circus personnel would be hunted by the screams and the cries of those trapped inside as the tent fell down. Donald Gale and Elliot Smith would both be trapped inside, but managed to survive, as, you know, they I told you about their stories. Yeah. <clears throat> they would actually survive by being buried under two separate piles of people that were trying to escape for the most part. Elliot Smith would recall hearing people screaming and praying as he was trapped under them and eventually would file silent. In under 10 minutes, the world's largest circus tent in the world would be turned into a pile of ash, injuring 700 people and killing 167. Donald Gale would hear the firefighters pouring water after regaining consciousness from being knocked out from the beat under the weight of one of these piles. But he doesn't remember if he was found on the, by searchers on their own or if he yelled out. And Elliot Smith would remember hearing them hear the firemen spraying water as well, too, from their attack lines. And he would call out to be rescued. And he did say the rescuers did have to pry apart the bodies that were fused together from the wax and heat from the fire to rescue him and Donald Gale in the same manner. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Elliot Smith's sister Joan was actually found alive later on the circus grounds and was taken home by one of their neighbors. Elliot Smith's mother would also survive, but she would be severely burned by the burning canvas on her upper arms, shoulders, and the top of her head, and he said that she had to wear wigs for the rest of her life. I can imagine. Yeah. Damn. Elliot Smith would actually spend five months in the hospital, and by a twist of fate, him and Donald Gale actually shared a room in the hospital together. And um, Donald Gale would actually spend a month longer in the hospital than Elliot Smith. Uh, a temporary morgue would actually be set up in the Hartford Armory, and most of the bodies can only really be identified by clothing or personal inscriptions on jewelry. would also be used in aid in the aid in identification of these victims. Um, one third of the victims total would actually only be able to be identified by dental records. Damn. Two women would actually be identified by their C-section scars, which is finally really bizarre that that's one thing that you can say, yep, that's my wife by, you know, that scar itself. Since they're usually very similar yeah. in the same area. Yeah, but it's, the sources said that's how they identified them. Some of the survivor stories reading through them is like, as I said, I need my emotional support cat. It's just how reading how some of these people were identified. Yeah. Um, one survivor says sister was identified by her Wizard of Oz shoes, is what they call them. Another was a one by a bandage around her, her. The father identified his daughter with a bandage that was wrapped around her hand because any other identifying identifiers were were basically burned off. One of the other survivors recalled seeing a child wandering inside the burning tent with no face from the wax that had melted their face off. Holy shit. Yeah, this was literally hell in a tent basically going on with the wax dripping down. In the aftermath of the fire, four circus managers would actually be charged with involuntary manslaughter, but would only spend a year in prison after being pardoned. Is this because they didn't have the fire extinguishers ready? Yeah, this was part of the investigation because of the negligence of not having the fire extinguishers out. And the roof itself being coated with a flammable material, but with, like I said, better waterproofing materials were reused during the war effort. Even with their convictions in the prison, these managers were actually allowed to travel to the next stop in Sarasota, Florida to assist the circus to set it up, to help set it back up again after the disaster. Mm -hmm. uh, the cause of this fire is still unknown to this day, and the circus would take full financial responsibility for the fire and set aside its profits for the next 10 years to pay liabilities to the victims of the fire, equaling out to $5 million total. Damn. Is that in today's money yes, or back then money? that's current value. The circus would actually start moving away from performing in tents and arenas only. This actually started in about 1956 when they started doing this. But for the rest of their 1944 season, they would only perform in open-air stadiums like football fields and things Smart. like that. Well, for one, they can't replace a tent that size that fast. Well, right, but also smart to just right. 
not have a tent, period. And uh, there was one man by the name of Robert Sigby. He actually was investigated to starting the fire, and he's admitted that he did do it, but he would later on in the 1990s retract his statement saying that he did. And they would also find he wasn't mentally competent enough to stand trial as well, too, for it. Can, but by the time this was in 1944 and then his trial would have been in the 1990s, it probably would have put him in his like what 60s, 70s almost. Well, I mean, that's a 50 year gap there, but you don't know how old he was True. when the circus happened. So. so, but early 90s, he could have been a suffering, <clears throat> you know, from dementia, Alzheimer's, yeah, well, yeah. like that. Yeah, but uh, on July 6, 2005, 61 years after the fire at the circus. A memorial would be dedicated to the victims with a large bronze medallion where the centering once sat with their names and their ages surrounding the outside edge of the bronze medallion where the the centering once stood. Okay. The footprint of the tent is actually outlined as well with dogwood trees that show the size of the tent where it was sitting at. And also there's uh, stone markers along where the direction of the midway was to the main entrance that has a timeline on it. Of everything that happened that day there. Oh, damn. It's uh, very like the same timeline that I use for the most mm-hmm. part. It's not a whole lot of information. And on the memorial bricks surrounding the medallion, there's quite a few of them. There's actually nine pages worth of photos on CircusFire1944.com. If you, if you would like to see what some of these messages are. A majority of them are from survivors or, or from family members of those that died this day. Um, there's also an endless amount of survivor stories as well, too, and other tellings from being passed on from people that did visit. And a lot of them are really heartbreaking to read. So one of, um, like one of the memorial stones, one of, it would say on it, don't worry about me, I'll be okay. And I actually found this, there's one of the stories that's on there is about that. It was basically the T, if I remember correctly, it was, Either a sister and brother or two brothers, they had found their mother severely burned, and that is the last words that she said to them. Oh, damn. Before she died on the circus grounds. Um, with I saying about the website, circusfire1944.com, there's multiple pictures of the bricks, known amount of survivor stories. There is way too many. But there is one that I want to add it in because um, this man actually is living in a Alzheimer's facility. And I just found it fascinating how that just seeing these two letters was able to bring back all of his memories from that day. Oh, yeah. Uh, His name is Ural Goldsmith, and he was only eight years old at the time. And he would actually escape by climbing down one of the tent poles near the bleachers that he was sitting on near the top. And he would say, as while everyone else was running near the exits where it was on fire, he would actually go the opposite direction, and he would climb back up the bleachers and then down this tent pole and would squeeze out from underneath one of the sidewalls. The letters that he has are now part of the Connecticut Historical Society, but I still found it fascinating with your, you know, both of his experience with people with Alzheimer's is mm-hmm. that him just seeing these and it's just snaps and he remembers everything just from seeing and having these letters read to him by his daughter that found them all cleaning out his house Mm -hmm. um and to finish this out for a final curtain call as they would probably say in the circus world the ringling brothers and barnum and bailey circus would actually stop operations altogether after 146 years because of declining ticket sales after they had taken out their elephant act in the late 20 mid to late 2010s with the pressure of animal activist groups after videos surfaced of their their elephants being treated poorly even though it was only one person they would actually go on in the 1990s and actually start a elephant um rehabilitation program okay uh they actually on their farewell tour they would actually perform in hartford connecticut on april 30th in 2017 at the xl center which is a convention center and minor league hockey team plays there and their actual final performance would be in Nassau, New York, but I cannot find a date when that was. But this that's the Hartford, Connecticut Circus Fire. That's crazy. Yeah. The imagery that you you painted with the yeah. little kid walking around, like that's And I don't that that's was bad. 
there was more things that I read about, and you know, I wasn't trying to go shock and awe. Yeah. But you know, I'm not gonna go for run the mill stuff. I'm gonna go for very unique things, like I have in the past for yeah. true crime things and whatnot. Yep. I might probably do some more disasters this later this year. I don't know. We'll see. I will be doing a. I mean, I guess you could call it a disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh. Kind of. Okay. I guess. History, disaster. Yeah. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Not a clue. Oh. Oh, okay. Because if it's not on a whiteboard behind the counter here, I wouldn't be able to tell you. It is March 29th. Okay, I'll have to look at that later. Yep. So, that said, I think it might be time we close up the Emporium for the day, unless you have any final thoughts on the circus fire here. Uh, I do not. Okay. I really feel like I've heard that somewhere before, though, and I don't think it was podcast. I feel like it's something that you and I had had a conversation about, like, years ago. We might have read something about it when we visited the Circus Hall of Fame down in Peru on our way back home Maybe that's when you told me. It could be. We could have read something while we were there also. I don't know. That place was really cool, too. I'd definitely go back there again. Hopefully they start getting more financial help that that they need down there to save those barns and everything that's down there. Um, maybe you could throw a link out. Yeah, maybe. For, uh, is that the Circus the International World? Circus Hall of Fame is in Peru. Peru, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they desperately need financial assistance because the buildings, the barns that all of these amazing artifacts are in mm-hmm. are... I mean, they're crumbling. Right. When we were in there, I mean, there were pieces of roof laying on the floor. Yeah. I'm part of their Facebook group and following through. They've cleaned a lot of that stuff up. They've had the roof has been replaced. Windows have been replaced. They've repainted the building, but they still need a lot of help and a lot of work. Yeah. Even if you couldn't be able to, if we would live closer, I would definitely go help on their work weekends that they have posted. Yeah. Maybe we could do that. Yeah. Pay it forward one weekend. Yep. But yeah, I would... I would toss a link in um, when we post this on Facebook so that people can go and read about that place, read what's there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if they're able to, maybe donate to help keep that history alive. Right. Hello, Salem. Hi, kitties. Because, yeah, that place was pretty cool. And I'd hate to see any of that stuff suffer more than it already had. Right. Anyhow. Hi, Salem. He says it's time to go. Yeah, I guess it probably is. I had Salem's you and that Sarah here. So I think it's time we close up the aporium for the day, Sarah. What do you think? I agree. And until next time. Remember to creep it real. Please check out our website at macabemporiumpodcast.com. Join our Facebook group by searching Macabre Emporium. Like and subscribe on YouTube at Macabre Emporium Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Macabre Emporium. And if you have any stories of the paranormal, your local true crime, or weird history that you would want us to look into and possibly do an episode on, email us at macabreemporiumpod at gmail.com. Remember to follow, rate, like, review, and share whenever and wherever you can and help us grow our little baby podcast. Unfortunately, he would never see the inside of a prison cell for the crime he committed, as the prison's... Prison. Jesus Christ.